Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and joining me on this episode is Mike Huber. Hello. Yay. Mike Huber, who I've met in real life now. I know, it's weird seeing you on a screen again. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. Um, Who knew that you had legs, or that I had legs? (laughs) Right, I know. Anyway. Yeah, I am realizing that my background is my closet right now, because I... I'm not totally moved into my new place. So. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look bad. You can blur it if you want to. Um, this is fascinating pod so far <laughs> for all the listeners. So, um, hey, everybody, Mike has a new book that's coming out by the time this episode comes out. Is it coming out in October? Um, it's actually November 14th. November. Yeah, it's like a lot of the my pre-orders are all coming in November, so I'm going to get slammed with yeah, all yeah. these new books, although I've read yours already, but yeah. Um, I'm still getting another copy and highlighting it up. Um, anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about the book, which is called, um, Mike, you probably know, but Inclusion Includes Us, Building Bridges and Removing Barriers in Early Childhood Classrooms from Redleaf Press. Um, so I'll just, before we start our conversation, I'll put a plug in that I think everybody needs this book. Like anyone anyone who's listening and um, really loved illuminating care and your mind was blown by illuminating care I think this is going to be right along those lines too um really really has a potential to really impact the way we think and and talk about inclusion um yeah okay so let's just jump in one of the things that you introduced me to in the book that I hadn't um heard of or thought about was a social model of disability um, so you you say the social model views disability as a societal problem rather than an individual problem. Individuals may have impairments, but the disability comes from the barriers in society. And that was so interesting to me that I just want to hear you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'll start with the way I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that I work at a center that's based on um, is an inclusive child care um, and, you know, that's a, a phrase that gets used a lot. And so having to figure out, are we actually including children? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the writing, you know, you kind of get steered to is special education literature, especially in the United States, right? That's the phrase, special education. Mm-hmm. And um, what I started doing was looking at more from um, the disability rights community of what, you know, kind of, so from the ground up rather than uh-huh. these, like, here's what the experts say. It's like, here's what the people who experience things say. Yeah. And so listening to a podcast that at the time was called Ouch, <laughs> and I should know what their current title is. It's a BBC um, 
production now called do i have it handy um access all oh okay <clears throat> and what i like about it the hosts are um disabled um and then they interview other people and so they interviewed somebody actually who wrote a song about the social model oh wow. i didn't know what it was and then they had tom shakespeare who is one of the creators of the concept come mm -hmm. on briefly um but basically i was kind of blown away like right like <laughs> We're trying to remove barriers because that's what prevents kids from being included or feeling like they belong. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I thought that Tom Shakespeare did so well is that he talks about the three basic barriers are either physical, um, informational, or attitudinal. And I kind of, you know, the physical one, everyone's ready for it. Of course, there has right. to be enough room for the wheelchair if a kid has right. a wheelchair. Um, although... The kid who needs to move around for you know their sense of learning where their body begins and ends or um for whatever need that one often gets shut down right mm -hmm. so that's so physical well, and then also sensory needs depends. that space yeah 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 they need the same space and, and then sensory needs we sometimes don't notice uh -huh. like they're the lights are this bright because that's you know, I want kids to be able to see what they're doing. It's like, but are some children getting affected? Mm -hmm. Are they lights that buzz and you filter out that buzz, but some kids can't, some adults can't. So started looking at that, but then the informational barriers, he was really talking about everything in society, right? What prevents you from joining something? So if you can't read the sign um, because you're blind, how can you get the same information? <clears throat> if you need a map of a place, how do you get that map in a way that you don't have to see it with your eyes? Um, and then in thinking about early childhood classrooms, then, well, that's a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. it, kids don't have the information and kids can't read already. So that we know that part, but then what do we do for kids to give them the information? Mm -hmm. We sort of assume that, well, after a week, they should know the schedule. And it's like, that's not true. Like what three-year-old has the capacity to remember a schedule mm -hmm. um, or remember that they have to wash their hands after they're done using the bathroom? Like we have such a grown-up view of it. Like, well, of course they know. Right. I've told them three times. <laughs> you know, Everybody else knows. And everybody else knows, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I always feel like there are the kids who will remember literally in their head. There are the kids who just follow what the other kids are doing. Uh-huh. Like, oh yeah, my friend is washing his hands, so I must wash my hands. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the kid who loves washing their hands because they like the feel of water, but they get told to stop, you know, playing in the water, turn off uh -huh. the sink. It's like, wait, you just told those kids they have to wash their hands. And when I go to do it, you tell me not to. Yeah. And then you have the kid who has no idea unless there's a visual and you need, and you have the kid who needs you to tell them each time, preferably also pointing because mm -hmm. kids usually need more than just a verbal cue, even mm -hmm. children who have typical hearing and things. So just that part really kind of made me think about all the stuff that I've noticed works or in universal design tends to happen, visual schedules, visuals for children who have a hard time controlling their emotions, you know, expressing them in ways that aren't hurtful. You know, visuals work much better than telling a child something. And so mm -hmm, right. it's like, oh, for early childhood, that's the informational. And then attitudinal, you know, so many things that we do um, are based on the teacher's attitudes of what 
children should do. So I was actually right. just looking at your matching game. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be using it with some people next week. So the yeah. idea is, what do you do when a child, you know, can't or puts a puzzle piece in the wrong place? Mm-hmm. And then the choices of what you would do are all things we would do to kids for behaviors. Like, right. you know, tell them it made you sad or <laughs> get angry or yeah. whatever, you know, all the yeah. different things. Threaten and we know- tell mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's the attitude. If we have the attitude that um, behavior issues, quote unquote, are simply children not a, a developmental thing just yeah. as children sometimes aren't tall enough to reach the water fountain sometimes they're not um able to uh what would be the word express their emotions verbally only mm-hmm. yeah. you know in that same developmental way and yet one of them we just treat as like a moral deficit and one we treat as um a uh, oh it's just you know they have it's to grow bigger typical, obviously yeah you know just get a so footstool it, of course we'll get a footstool yeah, if he's too short i know there's a dan what is it a behavior problems become moral issues says, or something um yeah stop make stop turning developmental issues into moral issues dan yeah. Rogers used to always say yeah yeah so basically going to that mm-hmm. the one thing i've added to um tom shakespeare's idea of that social model is the cultural barriers that happen too for kids to feel included mm-hmm. so and obviously some of that's attitudinal but some of it is just being aware because we all have our own culture that we're immersed in so like eye contact is one that's really common I grew up in a white middle class family that fairly typical for white middle class people that eye contact shows you're paying attention mm-hmm. yeah. but there's plenty of cultures that that's not true and yet if the teacher and the child are in different cultures a teacher insisting on a child looking at them or just having that attitude, getting upset because the child isn't looking at them. Or um, assuming that looking at me means that I'm teaching you something. Yes. Like oh, the, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, that too. Uh, outside of the, whether it's, you know, respectful, whatever other kinds of things we hook to eye contact, we also tend to assume. Right. Well, if they're sitting still and looking at me, then automatically they're learning what I'm telling them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I just realized I didn't talk about the other part of that event. So the social model is simply yeah. that if we get rid of those barriers, m- more people will be able to be included. And mm-hmm. that's accessibility. Accessibility is something we do for everyone. There may still need to be accommodations. Um, yeah. I might not be able to see without my glasses, for instance. <laughs> right, so, yes. And, and the difference is accommodation is something you do. For, it's for one person, right? Accessibility means yeah. that, you know, everyone can benefit from it or take part in it. And then there's things that are like, nope, that wheelchair is just for this child or yeah. the glasses are just for that child. So, yeah. And yeah. I imagine somewhere in one of those levels, the idea of invisible disability fits like that's that's in one of those uh, uh, things. You yeah, know, for categories sure. You just listed off. I um, and and you said you know in the book you also said you don't need to know the medical diagnosis of a child who uses a wheelchair. Just consider whether they can access all the areas. Um, and then you said the same is true for mental health and neurodivergence. Like the wheelchair user is kind of obvious. Right. They need some some kind of consideration, but you know, trauma or mental health or neurodivergence sometimes um, because they don't have that physical appearance. Right. And that's where you need to be attuned to the kids, right? Notice Mm -hmm. 
boy, I, no matter how many times I say it's time to put on your shoes, that child doesn't put on their shoes. That should tell you if you, you know, once you've said it more than two times, the information is what a, the way I'm trying to convey information is not working. Yeah. And me as the adult in this needs to figure out what would work. Right. Right. Yeah. And Instead of assuming, of be, do, do they need to wear shoes? <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Looking at our expectations. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But you you look at what what's the ultimate goal here? Am I worried about certain dangers? Um, often it's more about well, what if there's a fire and we all have to go outside? So you know, Lisa Murphy talked about have the bucket with the yeah. shoes in it. Um, but it's true that actually most kids or many kids are going to be more comfortable without shoes on their balance is actually going to be better. They'll actually be able to do more, engage more of their motor skills without shoes on. Yeah. We have people wear shoes because we were told that's what we're supposed to do because (laughs) somebody's worried about the one in, you know, bajillion chance chance that there might be a fire. And the only way we can deal with it is if children wear their shoes at all times. Yeah. Um, I hate wearing shoes. Like yeah. my, like I hate it for myself. Why would I force someone else? Right. First thing it? you do when yes. you get home, like kick off your shoes, you know, yeah. it just, so yeah. So it, it's, it's that attitude and just noticing, oh, if this isn't working, uh-huh. that's all the information I need. I don't need to diagnose whether the child has autism or ADHD or uh-huh. just culturally, there's something different going on because, you know, for some kids walking inside with your shoes on is rude rude and rude yeah see it as being rude yeah yeah so um yeah so having to be aware of those things and notice and so what can i do instead Mm -hmm. and you know um some of that's choosing your you know the power you know struggle sort of thing like is this the hill to die on but a lot of times it's like you'll actually get to know the kid better of like oh you know there's one kid in our in um one of the classrooms right now that she takes off her shoes when she goes outside. She hasn't been lately. It's also been in the low thirties <laughs> right. lately. So, um, but she would take off her shoes and then she'd be climbing in these ways that none of the other kids can do. And she's like one of the younger kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like, right. She's doing it because she couldn't do this. Right. If she had I mean, shoes if you- on it is hard to right really zoom climb. in on a child who's climbing with no shoes on and and like take a picture of the foot and how their toes are curled around and the whole yeah. foot kind of grabs and and that just can't be done with right. shoes on and if you think about it if we gave kids okay here's some scissors we want you to learn to cut by the way you have to wear mittens while you do this <laughs> you know we would never yeah. do that and so it's and those are those yeah. early childhood cultural things right. that we forget Right. Like if you would have talked to most architects in 1975 that, you know what, we can't just have stairs that go up to the entrance. There's got to be a way for people to enter without stairs. Uh Architects would tell you there's no way we can do that. That would be too expensive. People wouldn't do it. Um, And, you know, same thing with curb cuts on sidewalks. In fact, you know, when the ADA was passed, mostly what people were arguing against was, it's way too expensive. We can't do this as a society, mm-hmm. which is that goes back to the societal model, right? Yeah. Which was coming about around the same time of like, well, that's a choice. We've <laughs> chosen to not spend money on that because mm-hmm. you could say, you know, it'd be cheaper if we didn't put a roof on the building. 
right? And then yes. people, oh, but it, then we'll get rained on. Right. Oh, so we do have to spend some money to meet the needs of people. Uh-huh. So let's think about what are the needs of all the people if we included everyone. And, and I think one of the bigger things I've learned from reading more from the disability community, and not that it's one viewpoint, but right. you know, but but just that idea that when you're not being inclusive, we really need to use the word include. We're not including some people, which means we are excluding mm-hmm. people. So when we don't put curb cuts on sidewalks, we are excluding certain people. When we don't, when we only have stairs as the entrance, we are excluding people. And so we have to decide if that's okay or not. Right. Right. But I think if we put that language in there and make it about our society, um, then that changes the name of the game. So, yeah. That's- yeah. I, well, I think one of the other big takeaways I had from reading this was just, I hadn't thought about how different inclusion and belonging are. Like we just assume right. that it's the same thing. Well, I've included you here. So of course you belong. We've, right. we've allowed you to bring your disability into this space. Right. So you belong here now. You should feel like you belong. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and it doesn't you're in the same way. room. What yeah. more do you want? Yeah. And then that's where having those different types of barriers, I think can really help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to make sure I talk about that word impairment a bit, because I think it's important to say there are medical realities for people that are also important to acknowledge, but still figure out how do we include people. So I start the book with the story of having a child with CF who, you know, needed the, I don't know what you call the percussion thing in the morning so mom Mm -hmm. percussive therapy thank you mom (laughs) would sometimes be late and be very apologetic oh it took longer today or something and i'm thinking why should she feel like she has to apologize because she's doing this procedure on her child that will help her child live Mm -hmm. right yes exactly and participate like that like what message is our society giving what message am i giving um Right. Cause you know, I'm sure I had something about like, oh, we should all show up by nine 30. Cause right. we do our Cause that's when learning morning starts. song. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think I would have said that, but I would have talked no, about No, but that's, community. I think a, a comment. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I would have talked about community. Mm-hmm. Oh, we sing our morning song and then talk about what's happening today. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you know, she should really be there or all the kids should be there. I didn't say it to the, just the yeah. one mom, but mom took that as, oh no. So now I always want to make sure I preface that if at all possible. Yeah. You should get there for that. Cause it's a way some kids really get that sense of belonging by singing together or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you're unable to let me know, we can figure out because children in fact can sing at other times. <laughs> um, but my head wasn't there. My yeah. attitude at the time was not there. It was like, well, I can't change what I do. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to include you by telling you what I'm doing and not changing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a big sigh. I told you inclusion wouldn't work. Disruptive. <laughs> right. And then, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I know you've heard this story already, but it reminds, you know, that the story of, of the child with cystic fibrosis that you opened the book with. Um, uh, it's, you know, so I, I have a friend whose daughter has spina bifida and uses a wheelchair and goes to an elementary school. And, um, parents in the pickup line were complaining because uh melissa being up front with her van 
to let her get her daughter out and get the wheelchair set up was slowing down the whole pickup and drop off line. And so the parents complained to the principal and the principal's initial solution was, well, you could just take your van around back where the buses park and bring her in that way. And um, so I thought that was a good example of, um, you know, they're, they're including her. Technically they're including her. She still right, gets right. to come to yeah. school there, but they're also sending a very clear message to the other parents that there's something really weird and different about this uh -huh. child. And, um, and yeah, it is inconvenient and I'm sorry, we've made, you know, you won't see her again. <laughs> She's right. going to be in the back. And of the that school. child is like, oh, and, sure. Yeah. Come yeah. In, the message you know. to, to then my friend and her daughter is, um, we're going to, you're, you're included, but we're going to hide you because it's inconvenient for the rest of the right. school family. <laughs> and without <laughs> changing anything else, it yeah. could have been, yeah, if you don't want to wait, there's an entrance in back. Right. That you're welcome <laughs> to go to. And any family that really want to, cause, and there might be an, an honest reason for someone else, right. you know, like, um, I don't know if a family is using homeless shelters, depending on the city, like, a lot of times you have to be there at 11 o'clock or whatever time yeah. for that city to get a room. So that parent might be dropping off to get over there to, so they have a place to sleep right. at night. That's right. a, that's possible. And, you know, but, um, but let's figure it all out because then it's a figure it all out. Yeah. Then it's a belonging element for that family, you know, right. okay. We didn't realize this was your barrier. Right. Um, let's work to fix both. Yeah. So when you people know, let, complain let's work to include both, yeah, what you want to do is ask, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. What, you know, what, how is it affecting your family yeah. or how is it affecting your child or what is your concern or, you know, like any of that is, uh -huh. is so important. So, yeah. But we just skip to, oh yeah, you're right. This is a problem. Let's, right. let's yeah, roll yeah. her around to the back. <laughs> right. And so when I say that we have the barriers, we have the social models. So in this school, maybe it is only those two entrances, but maybe with just a little more thought, there's several entrances. Uh -huh. I mean, the pandemic did that to my center when we didn't want parents to have to, like parents dropped off to an adult from our, you know, on uh -huh. staff yeah. to bring them in the building. So people aren't going in, but we couldn't all do that from the front entrance. And it turns out we have doors uh, everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So then it was just, oh, if you're in this program, because we have autism day treatment, mental health day treatment, therapies, although a lot of the therapies were weren't done in person for uh -huh. a while. But but you know, it was suddenly like, oh, if you're in that program, you go to those doors. If you're in that mm -hmm. program, go to those doors. And we had the, the doors were always there. And mm -hmm. um it required adults being there. So like mm -hmm. now that we aren't doing that. We are back to everyone uses the front entrance yeah. uh, because then the front desk actually knows where you're supposed to go and can yeah. connect you. Like it, yeah. there's reasons for it, but if an issue arises, like sometimes it's already there, the thing you, you don't need to change much mm -hmm. to do it. And sometimes you might have to change a lot. And this is where, um, you know, early childhood programs often are in old buildings. Right churches things where you might not be able to physically change your building so then you have to figure out now what do we do how do we figure this out but hopefully as a society well obviously with ada um, yeah things have changed a lot but when something new is built figuring out okay so now how do we make that accessible but mm -hmm. even when you're rearranging your room 
you can start to think of some of that, but at least identify the barriers and know, oh, this thing I can't change. So now I've got a problem solved. I got to talk to the family. Maybe yeah. they have ideas. Like what if they done elsewhere or. Right. Um, the family would be such a great resource for that conversation. Right. Because this probably isn't the first time they've encountered some sort of accessibility, right. physical accessibility. And if you're issue. able to say, well, these are the things I was able to change, but this part, you know, yeah. it's the building itself and, you know, it, you know, it, we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars to yeah. renovate the building. We can't do that now. It would be great to know what can we do now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the building ever is renovated, we'll make sure to you know, yeah. make those changes or whatever. But to to always be aware of of um, what, you know, what could happen. And that's like society as a whole has to make those yeah. changes. And so like, I'm never like when I write stuff, you know, the, the hard part of writing a book is you finish it months before it comes out. Yeah. And then you forget what's at the beginning of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah. But also like now I'm thinking about a different thing. Oh yeah. And I'm so bad at like, cause authors, what you're supposed to do is pretend you just wrote it and this is what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and maybe for some things, that's what I'll do. But I feel like, you know, with talking to you, when we were at the IPA USA uh, right uh-huh. to play right now conference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing came up to me because people kept talking about problems they were running into. Mm-hmm. Um, this is at like the unconference portion. It's kind uh-huh. of um, unpacking what we did. And it was about, oh, we're trying to get play in these schools and they can't because of basically that same idea of the social model, right? Mm-hmm. That um, there's this one person from Australia who had this program where they would go into the school and do all this outdoor play with kids, right? And they could yeah. teach kids how to do different, you know, stuff outside. And um, they keep kept getting turned down because, oh, well, that's when we get our reading hours in, uh, right? And so it was yeah. this thing of it was built in where we need reading hours for these kids, and we've decided it's going to be at this time and we cannot change that. Just like I cannot change doing a song with my kids just because your child is CF. Like <laughs> it's a very similar uh-huh. like problem of like you set up this thing that like they didn't intentionally say we better put reading time then that therefore we won't, kids won't be going outside. Like it yeah. wasn't done to prevent a child, but then now it's not, including play. So this is a little different in terms of inclusion, but but I think the social model of of disability, of disabling children from playing mm-hmm. or playing outside, because, oh, well, we need to do this. And it's like, really, you can't, because the program was free. That's the other part about uh, this, is there are these educators coming in to work with the kids and show the teachers of all this stuff you can do outdoors. Mm-hmm. And yet you can't do it because you have decided that these hours are used for this. And, you know, that's, I mean, institutions in general have a hard time changing, but even a small program would often say, oh, we can't do it. And then it's like, we need people. um, I remember in, and I'm going to forget the the person's name or which book, but in a book about special education said, we do best when we have sort of an ad hoc, approach uh-huh. to things like oh because each disability is different right and we need to be able to deal with the person in front of us not like oh well other wheelchair users do this 
oh, this wheelchair user doesn't have the use of their hands. And, you know, so the wheelchairs operated differently. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, oh, okay, we got to change what we do for this person. Yeah. And, and so that approach is going to meet the needs better mm -hmm. when you're used to doing that. And part of that is that parallel process of our teachers given the power to figure things out on their own. Right. Because otherwise feel like gonna... they have that freedom, that agency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That agency. And then they can, oh, I see this child is having a hard time doing this. What if I just put their shoes in the emergency backpack when they're playing? Yeah. Like, do they have to wait for an administrator to tell them that's okay? Or do they just, oh, I've noticed this. So I just did it. Uh -huh. And I noticed this kid likes to play in the water. So I asked them to wash the paintbrushes every day. <laughs> so, you know, they're yeah. whatever. Um, you know, a teacher should feel that way. And then you're going to meet the needs of the, the different need, you know, yeah. needs of the kids. And the more regimented you get, the less likely you're going to, you're going to be excluding more people, the more regimented you are. Yeah. And then with this play analogy, similarly, you might be excluding certain types of engagement. Right. I used to, so. yeah, I used to say a lot, um, uh, you know, every, every child has special mm -hmm. needs. So if we're seeing it that way, it won't be difficult to include, you know, whatever the, right. the, 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 the diagnosis is or whatever. And I know that that's oversimplified, um, but it was a yeah. good soundbite. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was talking it's... to people, but if we, I think part of the barrier too, is that we, uh, American child care culture, at least tends to really think about the group and moving the mm -hmm. group through things and, and getting the group um, so anything that that makes you as a teacher go outside the group is mm -hmm. seen as an inconvenience or seen as a bad reflection of you as a as a teacher. Right. And, and so I think that's part of moving away. Another thing we need to try and move away from is like, yeah, the more we can think about what the individuals in our group need. Right. Um, the better we'll be prepared when those needs are a little bit more difficult to meet or there's a little bit more right. problem solving involved. And I think that's why I brought up the kid who plays in the sink, because yeah. it could be for a diagnosable reason, but yeah. it might not be. Yeah. But it's like, can we allow, oh, this kid likes to do this? Because if, if a child liked to sit and read, we, we would, would probably just yeah. <laughs> would let them do that, right? Oh, okay. No problems here. The child likes to sit and read, um, which was my kid. Yeah. Um, what my child needed help with was socializing, because mm -hmm. they also like to do things with other kids, but they didn't know how. And, yeah. and, you know, the autism diagnosis came years later, but people weren't necessarily attuned to, oh, I wonder if there's a skill this child needs help developing. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. And so it was just like, well, they're reading. So that's okay. Had they been like doing something that was considered non-academic, I'm sure it would have been like, oh, we got to get this kid back in the group. You know, back in the group like you can't just be you can't just be climbing things like uh -huh. you know that you know that it's not time to climb anymore yeah but um so we have those like biases and we just have to be aware of what yeah yeah what biases we just, have and what we want yeah yeah Sorry. practicing a pause right like before you react to anything just thinking okay wait why not <laughs> right right and and if your immediate answer is well i've got to get the rest of the rest of the group already has their coats on and we've got to get outside or whatever right right um or the playground is only ours for the next 20 minutes and then yep. you know so we've got to move that but so in the immediate it might be okay we just need to move through this but then you can think 
Okay. So thinking about outside time in general and, um, or thinking about movement needs in general, what, yeah. what, what can we do here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, and you might not be able to, sometimes you can solve something in the moment. Right. Right. Like if you're telling a kid to put on their coat over and over, take the coat, <laughs> just take the coat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, um, sometimes it is more like, oh, we're not getting enough movement. What can mm -hmm. I do to change my schedule or, um, coordinate with other classrooms yeah. or whatever it is that you have to do. So sometimes yeah. you can do things in the moment and sometimes you need that broader thing, yeah. just like figuring out what entrance to use when, you know, the, the van, you know, the wheelchair van is taking longer. It will yeah. take longer. Right. So it's like, is it, is there a way to do it that, um, like a long-term change, mm -hmm. you know, that, that might be whatever it is. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know without knowing the driveway, but yeah. Yeah. you know, there's plenty of options. I'm sure that couldn't have just been only it's either Two this doors. or this. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard the so, final solution. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. It's, I, think I know it's a they're good working on it, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think just the social model, once you kind of start to think about it, it can make you think about a lot of things because it really all it is doing is saying it's so easy for us to just blame the person the child yeah. has the challenging behavior it's like well no do they or is it yeah there's a societal you know there's the classroom culture that's creating this problem right 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 and there I might be issues but Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, and you know, everyone that's listening heard you say, well, we can blame the child and reacted like, oh, I would never blame the child, but that's the reality. We don't use right. that language, but we start to think about this child is creating the problem. Right. And so I'm going to use an example figure, of a child, figure out this child, my days would be so much better. <laughs> right. We have this child who, um, was having, was definitely displaying some like during lunchtime, just like would get up from the table and go onto a shelf and stand up uh -huh. or you know, like different things, you know, like that, but it often involved like standing on a shelf or I guess at some point spilling, you know, dumping things out and things. So yeah. it's like a four or four and a half year old. And I was in the room that day um, and trying to figure it out a little bit and thinking um, everything that the child was doing was basically forcing an adult to be near him. Yeah. Right? And it was like, what's wrong with this kid? Like what, you know, just like essentially blaming the kid. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. Um, later that night, I, and this is one thing about filling in in a classroom where I don't know all the information, but uh -huh. later that night, his mom had his, you know, new baby sister. Oh, that was very relevant <laughs> yeah. information, right? right? Of that like, would change the conversation. This kid is trying to draw adults to him, and he knows you can ignore me if I'm just saying poop over and over. <laughs> but if I'm standing on a shelf, you're going right. to come over. Right. I get that connection that I'm seeing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, had the attitude, including mine, mm -hmm. and this is just this week. So, I'm not saying that I'm. You know, was like, boy, what like doesn't he understand about like classroom norms? Or, yeah. Or or is there a sensory thing that like did did he not get enough time, you know, climbing earlier? Or, you yeah. know, he's trying to figure out all these things. And then, you know, 
afterwards like oh yeah he really wanted an adult with them because mm-hmm. at one point i just said hey i have an idea do you want to sit across from me for lunch he's like okay yeah. and as soon as i got up to like pour milk for somebody else or something i can't remember what i went to uh-huh. do he was over dumping out toys oh. and was like you know but in the moment because i'm also paying attention to you know you do have to pay attention to the other kids or yeah. whatever yeah. it was at the time um like oh right like that was when the that's when he stopped sitting in the chair was as soon as I left he was within you know in retrospect within seconds probably I didn't notice right away because I was talking to another child Mm -hmm. you know but it's like oh yeah and especially like oh his mom is like probably preoccupied yeah yeah. not able to give him the same attention that he's used to or whatever it's like right so he needs more adult attention from someone else yeah and our choice was could we figure out a way to give him more just oh hey i've got to go pour milk do you want to help me pour milk could you pour the milk for Mm -hmm. him because he's an older kid he probably could have done it i could have walked over with him given him the milk to pour yeah whatever um uh and those of you in states that have stricter, you know, licensing requires maybe, oh my God, <laughs> what about the food service gloves? Yes. But, yeah. Um, you it, know, it's, it's all workable. <laughs> it's all workable. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, I could have had him just had it in my mind to, oh, he needs to be with me or with another adult at all times right now to have that like attention. Mm-hmm. Or I could have kept a conversation with him while I physically went to do something else. Sure, yeah. Right? But I wasn't realizing what he needed. But but in a way, our classrooms, like, I'm assuming Indiana's the same. Yeah. In Minnesota, in early childhood classrooms, all the children eat lunch at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all sit at tables kind of like right next to each other. Uh-huh. Very crowded. Very crowded. When I go to like a more of a... a cafeteria style restaurant where there's those tables with like six seats with the idea that you just sit and other people will uh-huh. sit next to you yeah i avoid those and right? i'm like looking That's for like, like immediate where's stress. the two-person <laughs> table you know and i'm worried yeah. like oh this is a four-person table yeah that still might invite people if it's busy enough <laughs> why did i even come when there's people here right yeah. so like if adults won't do it and you know some adults will some adults are yeah. like oh great i get to sit here and talk to uh-huh. people i don't know yeah um which i'm known to do at times don't get me wrong <laughs> um but you know it's this thing of like why do we have all the kids go eat lunch at the same time yeah and and it does go to your idea that that, that we all stay in a group yeah and the group which is funny because i also feel like we have an over reliance or over emphasis on autonomy like the children have to learn independence right you have to put on your coat by yourself how yes. could you be three and not put your coat on yourself? Yeah. And, and just, I love, so Tiffany says this, Tiffany Pearsall will say this yeah. when we're talking about this kind of thing, like even the child, like we get annoyed because the child has put his coat on every day by himself, by himself, by himself, by himself. And one day he's whining and wants you to do it. And we get so annoyed because we know he can do it himself. And she, so her, her view is like, he's inviting me to connect with him. Like he, he may, it does not even be about independence or independence. This just might be his way of saying, Tiffany, 
right. I need you. <laughs> right. How many of us have not asked our significant other to do something that we are physically capable of right. doing? Right. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, I've got to go to the store. Would you come with me? Yeah. It's like, you've gone shopping by yourself before. It's like, I know, but I'm making a big purchase and I just want you there. It's like, but yeah. you already decided what you're buying. Yeah. Well, I know. Okay. But well, I, I just want you there. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, but yeah, we do it all the time to um, children. And when we, when you just step back, and that's where the pause really helps. Yeah. Why am I upset about this? Right. Right. What's happening in my own body right now? Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And what do I need to do so that I can support this little guy? Right. And yeah. what is and you know and connection is so often the thing. Like in my case too. Yeah. I was just trying to make sure all the kids had you know were eating, were able to open their lunch things mm-hmm. so they bring their own lunch and whatever like trying to make sure that the whole group I mean and there's another teacher too so mm-hmm. um but at the same time also making sure that, yeah you know, yeah um and, 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 and but I wasn't even seeing the need was so obvious like right he was and and we don't need clear. to wait for a diagnosis I guess to come to kind of right. bring it back yeah. to to where we started um there I'm doesn't doing there, that. There, well it, it's, it's unusual as you know for for me to do it but um so I was I'm thinking there was another little boy that we worked with at the um speech language preschool several years ago who really showed a lot of autistic indicators or you know whatever you want to yeah. say uh, um and the parents didn't want that te- you know didn't want that test done and so, right. you know, at that time we were working with grad students and the grad students were like, well, what are we supposed to do then if we can't get a diagnosis? Uh-huh. Well, you just look at what he needs and, right. and we plan based on what, what he's showing us, whether he has a label or not, you know, right. maybe the label gets him more services that, that would benefit. But right now we just have this boy in front of us and yep. this is what he's showing us he needs and wants from us. So that's what what guides us and yep. that was like and then they were like oh <laughs> right yeah I, I actually had a, a parent who um so I, either the younger sister in my class at the time but the older brother had gone off to elementary school and the, the mom was telling me yeah the teacher the other day asked me did did the results get back does he have an adhd diagnosis and she said oh didn't get the results yet and he's like oh i just want to know so i know what to do and she said <laughs> Why not just treat him as if he has ADHD? Right. Like, what would you do for the other kids? Yeah. And in a way, I think we'd all do better if we just assumed everybody has ADHD right. or everybody, um, whatever. I mean, yeah. And I mean, this is getting into like, well, it's not totally true um, that, um, you know, that idea of every child has a special yeah. need. Every child has needs and every child right. has strengths. But and it's not that you would make every kid do something that a kid with ADHD would do, but it's just that too often in our culture, the things we do expect of classrooms work against kids with ADHD. Right. Those are some of the kids we exclude yeah. inadvertently just with the culture that we've created for early childhood, Yeah, like not having enough movement, not, you know, allowing for more like individual, like I'm, this kid's going to go here and then there and then there. And it's like, no, no, you stay at your station for 15 or, you know, till the bell rings yes, or whatever, yeah. you know, and then we'll all round. these things that different people do. And it's like, no, this child is not going to sit and listen to a book with the rest of the group. They're not going to stay at their station or whatever. Yeah. And the more you do those things, but if you simply have it in a way that a child with ADHD would 
flourish. Well, the child who does want to stay there 25 minutes could still can. And the child who needs to move every 30 seconds. That's, that's what that mom was yeah. getting at. And that's, I hope what I'm, you know, yeah, I, I think, um, I think anything that we do because of an IEP or because of a, a late, a diagnosis to benefit that specific child has benefits for the, for everybody else in the room. Like it, it, I can't think of something, you know, maybe when we were doing speech therapy, the child who just needed speech sound drills, maybe that's not going to benefit everybody. Right. right. But seeing, seeing uh, the adults around make intentional efforts to meet those, those yep. needs benefits every child in the room. For sure. And I think IEP goals really should have what, what is the classroom changing? Mm-hmm. not just what is the child doing absolutely uh, you know so. i use iep as an example i think there's flaws in that system too because oh, yeah, it is yeah, very yeah. much all about how we get at least everyone i've looked at how do we get this specific child to change in ways that benefit yeah. the, the group right. um instead of yeah you know, and um, often sort of things that relate to academics yes yeah. um not necessarily social like any of the I shouldn't say any, a lot of times the social things listed are more about that child participating in a group fitting in instead of being fitting in rather than how do we help them play with other kids? Mm -hmm. How do we we make sure that that child is socially um, uh, with others as, as much as they want to. I mean, obviously they can choose not to as well, but oftentimes, you know, social isolation is the biggest um, effect of a disability. Yeah. Um, we had a, a four and then turned five-year-old when I was working with him who had an IEP with a goal of joining play, being able to join play. Excellent. And it was really hard for him. He would kind of stand outside the group and throw something into the group. And that was like his signal that he yeah, wanted yeah. to join. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was often doing his own play. In, and I actually had more success inviting others to come play with me and that child. Yeah, and yeah. say let's let's help you join this scary group and then right. it was a little bit easier um yep to, to get him and that's often the way yeah. it is because then when yeah. they come over then there's that child is starting to get the experience of what social cues they are using yeah. how yeah. they relate and oh that this you know whatever yeah this child's also interested in this part or this thing and yeah it gives it would... them more skills yeah and it would just be like oh eric's doing something really interesting come in let's go over and see if we can play too you know that kind of thing instead of eric would like to join your group what yeah exactly (laughs) well and i often that's great eventually but that's really scary right away i think i usually teach kids or whatever if i'm coaching kids or whatever word you want to use um to play parallel oh you want to play with them they're using blocks let's use blocks yeah near them and that's going to be a lot easier to then, you know, bridge mm-hmm. than just go join them in their play. Right. And then it's like, I, I remember one time doing that with a kid who just physically, you know, wasn't as coordinated. So would put a block on the building and it would knock over the whole building. Yeah. And the other kids were much more adept at that. Yeah. And so they would just get really like, well, I'm not going to let him play with us. Right. Look what happens when to a stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Versus him building a garage nearby or whatever, and they build the house or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like something that could relate. Yeah. Oh, now it's like, he's not touching my building. Well, now <laughs> we can play, you know, yeah. he can, 
you know, I can drive my car over and go to his to restaurant. his garage, yeah. <laughs> his garage, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that's a whole so, other whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 I but I think see those are those are some of the um, informational and attitudinal things that yeah. child needed to. Well, one, what do these other kids like to play with? What are the things I need to do to kind of get that serve and return with the mm -hmm. with a child throwing yeah. something into the middle of them isn't the way to do that right so what is that's the information yep. that child needs right and that's the barrier for that child being included yeah um so yeah and 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 i think going to your special needs i, I think i'm gonna i think this is the last point okay <laughs> um that idea that all children have needs and strengths and things so i was mm -hmm. talking with remus with my child and uh they were talking about the way well yeah so like i liked to climb trees and there was this other kid who liked to climb trees so when i was with him i would climb trees um this is probably more elementary school now yeah. that i think about it but but then he also liked to get really loud when he was having a lot of fun and my child can't deal with sensory issues uh and uh. loud sounds so that oh well, when he was feeling that way, I would go over and play with this person because uh -huh. they like to play with dolls and I could, you know, sit down and, you know, I would sort of make up a story for the dolls. <laughs> um, yeah. Didn't actually use the dolls themselves, but mm -hmm. like, you know, so it's just that thing of what my child became adept at, at is noticing, oh, this is the thing I do with this kid. This is the thing I do with this kid. This is uh -huh. the thing I do with this kid eventually i mean yeah probably it was probably like second grade um but in first grade you know they just kind of sat there like on the playground they would just sit by themselves yeah um because they weren't sure how to join a group and they still as an adult now young adult need help like you got to tell your friends like i don't know when to like leave or come <laughs> back uh -huh. when we're doing a thing like being with a couple and having them say oh could we have some time alone my child's not coming back the rest <laughs> of the day. Um, well, they don't listen to your podcast. So yeah, because it was prom night, you know, the yeah. three of them are hanging out and like, oh, okay. oh then, yeah, like my child goes on the other side of the like the football field or and then like, they're not sure. When do I come back? Right. Do, well, that'd be I'm hard for stay me here. to do. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's true. Right, you right. know, I would be the same way. Hmm. Yeah, but it's that thing of like, you got to let them know yeah this is the thing i need help with i'm not ignoring you because if i don't come back and at the right time this is a lot of autistic adults have this issue right of i'm not like don't take this personally that i'm ignoring you because i'm not coming back it's because i'm not quite sure uh yeah and you're welcome to tell me you're not going to hurt my feelings if it's like oh actually you know could you <laughs> could we have uh -huh. the rest of the night alone or uh -huh. whatever it is or the opposite of like yeah come on over like you know or if you're ready, come on over, whatever. Right, right. But just having that, like, um, that information, but but just that idea that awareness of we need to help teach kids, oh, this part you can do with this child, but oh, this part doesn't work. Or uh -huh. this child really likes to climb. You, you know, your body is unable to climb trees if, you know, a child in a wheelchair. Yeah. So when they want to play chase again, um, you you could play with them uh -huh. right now they're climbing a tree let's find somebody who you know is yeah. doing something you can do and you're going to do different things with different kids and that and, and and the teacher has to then know 
that that's okay. Like they and don't that, have to yeah. say, oh, wait, your friend wants to climb trees and, and you can't. So right. um, I don't want you in the tree right now. You know, just right, that right. we have to accept that it's okay for those. Right. Those things that those, I guess those needs are fine. Those needs right, right, don't need right, to be um, uh, sort of pathologized. They can just. Be, right, right. Exactly. Uh, that is just when you're truly included and, or, and yeah. you belong, it's like you, you know, if you go, if you, you know, you like reading i like reading but we would we might join different book clubs right and that's okay it's not but well i'm sorry you're gonna have to <laughs> but there are sometimes group norms that you do like we all have to get from the playground back into our classroom uh-huh. that's the thing the whole group has to do right how that happens can look differently for different kids but there are times when well we all have to get in to the building whereas right. when you're playing or other times when the kids can be independence like we don't all have to climb trees right now yeah and we don't have to all stop climbing trees like <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. we need enough activities that everyone has something they can do I guess yeah. is the way I'd say it and so so there are times you know right like everyone right like walking isn't better than rolling isn't better than crawling but right. we all need to get from point a to point b and mm-hmm. so that's the attitude that's the 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 part that if we pre- prevent some of those things yeah the social barrier we've just made a child unable or we disabled yeah. the child from participating yeah i love i i'm really glad that that um that you introduced that <laughs> so early in this because it, it is something i wouldn't have on my own discovered the social right. i'd already started writing the book when i oh, heard yeah. tom shakespeare speak and it was like oh this is just like <laughs> this is because i was trying to figure out how to connect it with like a lens of like cultural humility or stuff and it like made sense in my head but trying to explain it to anyone else and suddenly that i saw Mm -hmm. that and like oh that's like so much better and i always make sure i credit and i probably need to credit other people too um from that you know it's mostly Uh the disability rights movement in england that that came around but I also have to say, like, I don't know enough. I, I don't mean to just credit one person for something that is the whole from field. A lot of people. He was someone who wrote about it. Yeah. You know, right. He he has a book literally called Disab- Disability, a Primer or a, <laughs> or The Basics or something the like basics. that. The Basics. Okay. Yeah. Right? And then he has another one called The Disability Reader. And it's like the textbook. Okay. Like to buy it in America costs a lot of money. A so lot. I, yeah. I haven't read That's that one what yet. happens. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, anyways, um, so credit to other people in the disability rights movement and if and I uh whatever. I need to yeah. get more names in front of me so that I can yeah. credit more people. Well they can buy your book and look but at it's the not my page. yeah, there we go. It is not my um you know, I just want to say that it's not like yeah. the mind of Mike. Sure. In some ways, all I'm doing is connecting one idea to another, which mm-hmm. for those of you who want to be authors, really that's all we all of us do. Right is we connect ideas from something to something else. Yeah. And then the next person will do that to our work. It's important. (laughs) No, it's a good thing. Yeah. 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 Schema play theory is like someone took some ideas of Piaget and like, oh, but I've noticing this. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, And you don't notice it. That's why you have the, that's why you could, I I and many writers have an imposter syndrome at first because Oh, this isn't new. Right. 
But then after a while, it's like, oh, wait, I connected things in a way that no one had. That's yeah. the thing I did. So yeah. I'm making myself feel better in front of the listeners. Oh, okay. And All right, good. I didn't uh, realize I was doing that until I no, got that's to fine. the end there. We talked about this already. This once. is our therapy session, right? <laughs> that's that's all these podcasts are. <laughs> right, exactly. It's all just um, everybody uh, feed my feed my ego and listen to our ideas. Yeah. Um, okay, well, this was great. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. I'm, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, and I don't think that my my judgment is clouded because I like you as a person to say that this book is amazing and everyone should buy it. I think it really <laughs> is amazing. And um, and I, I'm going to get it in as many people's hands. As I can. Cool. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But um, I am excited it, about it. So, yeah. Um, okay. Any last, I guess that was our any last things. I think that's the last things, yeah. the okay. last things. All right. Well, thanks for being on again. I always love it when you're on. Um, And thanks everybody for listening to another episode. We'll be back next week. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.